0: This episode of Beyond the Walls is brought to you by McFarlane-Murray Chevrolet in Grayson, Kentucky. Visit them online at www.McFarlaneMurrayChevrolet.com or call them at 877-272-9861. Alas, drag my poor carcass to death so that you cannot sin any longer against an innocent victim. Leave the mercy or punishment of my soul to him who is a just judge and not like you unfortunate blind ones. My trust is in the Almighty God and in my Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed me and has called me to preach his gospel to the last breath of my life. I fervently hope that he may have mercy upon me and receive me in grace and that he will hand to me the cup of eternal salvation and will never take it from me. I also truly believe that he will hand me this cup today, out of which I shall drink bliss and my salvation in eternity. His blessed name be praised by all. John Huss, at the Council of Constance. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls podcast. We are here in studio tonight with Aaron Baldwin, Mike Gullihue, the fact checker model two thousand, and what you all have just. Wait till your turn. Wait your turn. I didn't ask you to speak just yet. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what? what yeah, it's already been one of those kind of nights, people. So uh, this could get this could get interesting very quickly. Salty. Uh, Yes, and what you guys have missed out on that we did not have the recording feature happening was our rendition of some Black Eyed Peas. Mm-hmm. We've done Bon Jovi uh-huh. so far in uh-huh. here tonight. We've done some Black Eyed Peas. Um, little Jimmy Eat World. little Jimmy yep. Eat World. Yep. So we are going to heed the urges of the Fact Checker 2000, and we are going to do away with, cease and desist with the Tom and No more Tom Fuller. No more Tom Fuller. I know it. None. So we will get started here, and we will attempt to be serious. Uh, That will last for all of 30 seconds. As close as we get to serious. Absolutely. absolutely. So uh, we're going to be talking about John Huss. We're going to be advancing the Reformers series that we've been doing. We started about a month ago with a show on John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation. We're going to advance the story just a little bit into the era of John Huss, which is basically the same era. I mean, he, he was born a little bit later, uh, and then he obviously died uh, was executed a little bit later. But we'll get to that. Uh, one of the things that I think it's really important for us to m- remember is looking, looking at history. You know, we've talked about it a couple times, that history, looking at any event, uh, historically, it, it's the pebble in the pond type of thing, is that you very rarely get to the source of where that pebble actually entered into the water most of all all of history is a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the story of John Hus, or if we're going to go with the proper pronunciation, Jan Hus. <laughs> um, you know, his last name, um, Hus, was actually shortened uh, because his original surname was Husinec, which was the province he was from or the town mm-hmm. that he was from. We'll get to the meaning of that a little bit later. It was an interesting, it is. Uh, ironic kind of last name. But you know, one thing that I do want to throw out, there's been a few episodes since we've thrown it out, is that we are very much episodical experts uh-huh. here at Beyond the Walls. What that means is that... We do quite a bit of research into whatever we're going to be covering this week. Uh, It's going to be the Reformers with John Huss, and we've done a fair amount of research with that. By this time next week, we will have probably forgotten most (laughs) of this. So uh, the the preface here is that anytime we uh, cover a history topic, we are not historians. We are not amateur historians. We are not, I don't even know if you could say that, maybe enthusiasts? Yeah. Maybe, because we really would, enjoy it.
1: I would go with enthusiasts. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So understand that we are probably, like most of you all, only we have taken a lot of time to set apart some, some research time for this yeah. and present it to you, and hopefully you find this entertaining
2: and, and informative yeah. as I, we go along. I have to deal with seventh graders on a daily basis. I'm just glad that I can get up in the morning. That's so, you know, being episodical, anything, and having the word expert tied to it makes me feel You're good. pretty decent. I got it. We yeah. got this. Good. good. Yeah.
0: So, um, you know, with the ripple effect being mentioned, I think that it, it's easy for us to look back on historical events, historical topics, or even figures and think, that all of a sudden, boom, it just happened. No. And and that's not the case. Much like the American Revolution. Let's use that for an example. Uh, Yeah, the the signing of the Declaration of Independence and and all of that. We tend to look back on that and go, Oh man, it's room full of dudes got together. And <laughs> Seminal they, point and, of American history. Yeah, 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 They <laughs> signed it, and it all happened within a 24-hour <laughs> period. But there was so many events that just led up
2: to that. Right. They well, all
1: stood in like heroic poses. But no, they actually didn't sign on the same day. Right. Uh-huh. Um, right.
2: So. Yeah. No, and I mean, like in my classroom today, we actually were talking about uh, the the issues between the popes and the kings around 1000 A.D. Mm. And what I tied it to was the American founding fathers and how when they first started writing the American Constitution, Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, was basically what had come out of those you know, trials that went on between kings and popes. The freedom of religion, the freedom of the press, the freedom of speech, all develops from right there. And then this idea of no king as a... Uh, you know, leadership figure in the executive branch, make it a, you know, presidential, mm-hmm. uh, you know, four-year term. And, and and my kids were like, how are we jumping from 1,000 AD to when we were founded in the 1700s? I was like, because history's fluid like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Ripples. The best analogy I've heard is ripples.
2: Yeah. yeah the, because, the ripple effect of it. And, I mean,
0: if we're looking at the Reformation, yeah. you know, because we're, we're coming... Uh, you know, the Enlightenment yeah. period. You know, we're coming out of the Dark Ages, sure. and, and we're, we're getting really, really close to uh, the time that the printing press just boom. So idealism is just running crazy. It's running wild. Amok. amok yes, it's amok. running amok. Um, it's, it's easy to look at, for us, to look at Wycliffe, to look at Huss, uh, even to look at Luther and mm-hmm. Calvin and think, oh, well, these guys. And while they're the most visible um, the most famous for this work, and, and maybe they did the majority. You know, They did the biggest th- you know, uh, right. events or the, the biggest stage. Took the largest leap. How
2: about that? Right, yeah,
0: exactly. There are so many um, minor players, and you hate to use the word minor, but that's, that's well, kind of a his historical history. context. Right.
2: They're forgotten to history, but, man, they're so important to the... If you look at the localized story, yeah, I mean, if you really were a Huss historian... You know, on your bullet point list, that guy that would be A on the bullet points and B on the bullet points, he would have such an amazing impact on Huss and his career, but not on the overarching story that we now look at as we look back. It Mm -hmm. it would be more of that, you know, really deep delve into the local story of John Huss. But we don't need to be that... Right. Yeah. Right. You know, we don't need to dig that yeah, far down. Yeah, that's that's going to, we're just going to lose
0: a lot of people, ourselves
2: included. Yeah, because when you start throwing those names out there and those people, I mean, the ramifications of what they did, they advanced John Huss's career, who's our focal point mm-hmm. within this. You know, um, you called Wycliffe the morning star. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that brought him up to that morning star status. Um, you know, and Huss is on that on that that arc towards towards Luther, basically, towards what we consider the main points of the Reformation. And obviously there are lots of smaller, lesser known folks that got him to his Uh, You know, point in history. I found it interesting in the research, you know, that Ben, he even talked about the reason that he got into the clergy to begin with was to avoid poverty. Yeah. yeah. Was to to get some nice clothes and to get some prestige. Had absolutely nothing. I mean, there's not a whole lot that's known about his early life. Exactly. And so you know that there is somebody who stepped in there and filled that void with meaning. Mm Mm-hmm. Because obviously he didn't enter into the clergy for the right reasons. Exactly. Well, if you look back,
0: if you if you've not listened to the first reformers episode on Wycliffe, it's not a necessity that you go back and listen no. to it to be able to listen to this, uh, but it does help in the understanding because we talked a little bit about the fact of the communities that the uh, you know the churches would be built in. You know, the communities would be absolutely run down, impover- impoverished. I mean, just literally right. impoverished, but yet here you had this cathedral. Yeah. You know, this monastery that was just immaculate and it was ordained. I mean, it was just absolutely immaculate. So if you get a young man like Huss who's living in just poverty, then that's what you do. Exactly. It's like, oh, okay, you know it, it's not different well, from what the kids do today <laughs> when we look at what we want to do with our careers right. we, you know we're driven by passion. But we're also driven by what's going to provide me a good lifestyle. Well,
2: and I think that that gives us an idea too. You said you said most young people. I don't know if it's most young people. I think it's it's dealing and working with young people on that basis. I think it's young people who are smart enough to recognize their own talents at a young age. <laughs> so John Huss must have been aware. Okay, I can pick up on some of this stuff because if he's coming from that impoverished sect of the, he's not being taught. I mean, it's right. not like he's going to formal schooling. So the guy realizes, okay, I've got some knowledge more so than my friends. I'm able to compute. I'm able to speak. Something's going on here. It's not like I can just go in to the clergy on a whim. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have to go in with some, uh, some preparation. And so he's got the ability to do that, and he's recognized that. I mean, what's your other options? I'm going to go out into the fields for the rest of my life. Because that's pretty that's much it. all there is. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think it tells us a little bit about Huss that he was had the wherewithal to recognize his own talents. And, and, and I would say probably the clergy members in the cathedral or whatever it was in their town uh, also had the wherewithal to say, okay, this kid's got some potential we, we might want to go ahead and recognize him as a future member of our congregation within the clergy itself. And right. so, you know, that's, I think it, it tells us a little bit about both ends of that story. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's, uh, before we get into, really into the life of Hus, let's set this up a little bit and let's talk about, again, let's further the story a little bit from the Wycliffe timeline to the place of the papal schism. Or the, the, the Western Schism. And there's actually a couple other. I'm sitting here looking at some research pages I've done. There's like three or four names for this thing. It's the Western Schism, the Papal Schism, the Great Occidental Schism, the Schism of 1378. <laughs> Whatever you choose to call it. There were people arguing. <laughs> there were people not getting along very well. Imagine that. Imagine that. Uh, it was. It was basically. It was a split within the Catholic Church that lasted from 1378 to 1417. Uh, popular theory and popular, most popular knowledge is that this was a time that where there were two popes. There were three. It wound <laughs> up being three popes, and you know the. Just like so many of the things we reference in these episodes, it's a it's a topic that's worth episodes of its own. Oh, absolutely. But we, don't, we, we just don't have the time to go into that. Uh, but all three men claim to be the true pope. I mean,
2: why would you not? Sure. Well, and, and I think especially when you're able to say that you are appointed by God. You know, I think uh, History Channel... Um, a couple weeks, uh, has been running the David Koresh Yes, stuff. the Waco. Yeah. yeah. And, and talking, you know, they, and I actually caught the tail end of the program where they spoke with the, some of the ATF agents who had been on that raid on the 20-year anniversary. Right. And, and and to hear them talk about how Koresh was so convinced and the multitude of their followers were so convinced that he was the second coming simply because... He gave like some sort of higher authority to justify his decision-making, his reasoning, and just how, you know, in a world of where, like our world, the church is a large influence in our world because of where we live, Mm -hmm. being in the Bible Belt and whatnot, but still our world is also muddied with other things, very much so. But these people... That was all it was.
1: And we are influenced by the church, yes, but we're still we're secular. Yeah. Right? Oh, very I mean, much so. I mean, um, nothing bad's going to happen to us if we don't go, you know.
2: Exactly, we, you know, exactly. So these people pay fines if they miss church. I mean, it's... This it,
1: enriched our life. This, you know, church re- enriches our life. That one was...
2: Exactly, the life. Yeah. It was their life. And, I mean, it's a... Uh, when you start to give yourself this air of what am I trying to say like justification I guess from above yeah you know this heavenly justification of yes, I am the true pope, and this mm-hmm. guy—it's—it's it's like one of those—it's like on the Scooby Doo, you know, where they bring out the same guy, and they're then they're one's masked and the other one's the. <laughs> I, I, I love it when we reach that. <laughs> well, you know what I'm Scooby-Doo. trying to say. I love it, you know, yeah. and it's like and and the uh, you it's no I, he's the imposter. I'm the, or the Spider Man you know it, yeah you're me I'm you you know
0: and it's, it's well and and there are very few of our listeners there's some of our listeners that will get this reference but most of them will not. Um, some years ago, there was a great debate over who was the mayor of a local town here, um, Olive Hill. <laughs> oh, there you Kentucky. go. Yeah. Uh, so much so. Never heard that. Oh, oh wow. yeah. That was all over oh, the, yeah. It was front page news. Yeah, I mean, it was so, on the Grayson Journal. The so,
2: <laughs>
0: so much to the effect that people. I myself may have had a shirt and a hat, but it was they were having shirts made. Says I'm the mayor of Olive of Hill, and I mean, just everybody was wearing them around. But I mean, it's it's kind of funny that that that's exactly what it was because what what was happening in this time period was really we had the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it was the Roman Empire, right. but you really had two distinctive cultures. Um, one being Rome yes. itself, and the other being Constantinople, right, which was more easterly, more towards the mainland of the continent of of Asia, Asia, yeah, and it was right smack dab in the middle of almost like a convergence of the trade routes, yeah. So you had all of these different cultures and everything pouring in. To this Constantinople, so this regional
1: melting, melting pot. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you exactly. know, the,
2: the Turks themselves come from the Eurasian steppe. Yeah, I mean, they're the nomadic herd and tribes people that that we love to reference. So let's just in. go ahead and throw a name: Dan, Dan Carlin. Carlin. Yeah. Hardcore, <laughs> history,
0: hardcore history. Hardcore history. Everyone addendum. go.
2: Everyone go listen to it. Uh, no, I mean, then that's. I mean, so so I mean, you can like for us to even try to fathom that Romans and Romans from Rome. And Romans from Byzantium or Byzantium, uh, however people say that other way. I can't ever get to spit that out. But to think that they're anything alike, they're really not. And I, I think there's a third cult, a culture too, Ben, within that Roman uh, provincial thing, is that it's that new European culture that is slowly, that northern, what we recognize now is like Western Europe, France, Britain, yes, Germanic areas. But that's that stuff is slowly. It's been so romanized, but left to its own volition and, and independence to you know let the cultures. I mean, Britain has become. It's not just some wild Roman province anymore. Mm-hmm. It's Britain now. Yeah. I mean, it's a country. France has been settled for you know several hundred years. Major power. I mean, th- these. I think there's. It's just so much going on. That it, it would have been a crazy place to try yeah. to define by just saying we are all Romans anyway. And
0: this, you know, you, it, it's hard to look back and think that something just kind of snuck up on the Catholic Church. But I mean, this really did yeah. because, again, going back to the Reformation being bigger than mm-hmm. Wycliffe and Huss and Luther and Calvin and all of them, you're you're coming off of a time which we've. We've got an episode recorded in the archives that we've just we just not released because we just didn't feel uh, like we nailed it really, not that we nail anything here, but uh, it's an episode on the Cathars. You are coming right now in this time period. You're, you're coming off of the Albigensian Crusades or uh-huh. the Cathar Crusades, which basically was an uprising of Reformation, it may not have fit the 95 Thesis and all the things that Luther stood for, but there was a a Reformation, a uh, little bit of an uprising, well, it was more than a little bit of an yeah. uprising. It was a major uprising against the Catholic Church and its practices. Yeah. So this is not just a you know, four-person thing that's going on here. So I think that this is one of the things why I say that it snuck up on the Catholic Church is because there are so many energies and yep. so much focus, in in so many different directions, trying to okay, well, people are they're come, We're coming out of the dark ages. We've entered into the Enlightenment period, and and we've been the boss of that. Yes, you know, we've dictated the terms exactly. on that. We've helped us reestablish society and arts and culture and music and all of these science of, and science, math. Science, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all education, yes. everything. But now all of a sudden people are, are kind of starting to think for themselves. and <laughs> no. I know. No. and And, and our, uh, our control is being threatened. Uh, exactly. So we've kind of got to start watching all of these different sex. Exactly. But when you start focusing on other things, on the external things, it can be a little bit of the internal
2: difficulties it, it's, that happen. It's kind of like parenting. Mm-hmm. As we've sat here tonight, we've, had this discussion of parenting, you know, how how do you come to that point where independence starts to be, you know, I've got a nine-year-old who's getting her be ten. She is starting to test her limits mm-hmm. of independence in mm-hmm. regards to what I want versus what she wants. You, on the other hand, have the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And it's like, where do we draw the line with independence? Do we believe that we have brought it to a place that, it, you know, We feel comfortable allowing it some independence? Or do we say, you know what, I think maybe we've had enough of this independence and we're going to stranglehold this thing. And I think that's what the Catholic Church was faced with. You know, have we done a good enough job and are we able to let go? Or are we not willing to let go and take the chances of, you know, having to tighten our grip to the point where, this is going to become uncomfortable for everyone. I think they chose option B where it's going to become uncomfortable for everyone, including themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they made it part of themselves simply by their choices to be so rigid with the, you know, the relaxing uh, or the releasing of the independence towards the people that they had previously governed so intensely. Yeah. Yeah. And the... Uh What's that
1: schism.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know what we're talking about. I'm just trying to figure out how we want to segue here. I would like to take you back to about a year ago, 11 months, I mean almost a year ago to the day, I was pulling into a parking lot near my house and the gas tank fell off of my vehicle. Not kidding, just gas tank completely fell off of it. It was at that point that I realized I needed to do something and and get a little bit more dependability out of my ride. So naturally, what I did is I called my friend, Billy Murray, at McFarland Murray Chevrolet. He knew my price point. He knew what I needed in a vehicle. And there was no back and forth. There was no rhetoric. There was no high-pressure sales tactics. It was just good, honest dialogue as to what you need, what we have, and here's what we can do for you. I walked away from that. With the vehicle I have now, 100% satisfaction, and they've been fantastic to me ever since with service, any questions I have, or just being there for me. So if you're in the market for a new vehicle, go check them out. Pay a visit, make a phone call, visit the website, McFarlane Murray Chevrolet. Website is McFarlaneMurrayChevrolet.com. You can find them on Facebook as well, or you can call them at 877-272-9861. If you do so before the end of the month, they've got a 2018 Sonic LT with an MSRP price of $20,170 on sale for $15,500, good through the end of the month. But if you can't get there, you can't talk to them before the end of the month. If you're listening to this after the month changes, hey, they're never at a shortage of great deals. And I promise you, they will treat you right. McFarlane Murray, Chevrolet.
2: All right, so Ben, let me. I'm trying to wrap my head around this Western schism, the the Roman Church, and 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 the the anti popes, and so I just kind of want to, you know, run this at you with with what, um, how i in lay per, person's terms, how I, I would describe uh, what's going on with the Catholic Church at this point. So, okay. so correct me at any point where I wander off into weird territory, which most of the time is going to be quickly. Um, so there, the, the Pope dies and there is upheaval now because you have a split Roman territory, True, mm-hmm. the Western side and the Eastern side pulling at the multiple parts and the Italian folks would love to have an Italian Pope and they're lobbying for this. And, you know, that's not how popes are elected. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be. Supposed to be. But the Italian folks uh, across the countryside are clamoring for an Italian pope, and the eastern side of the Roman Empire says, that's not how this works anymore. You guys aren't the power center. The pope needs to come from over here in Byzantium. And then a bunch of other different folks throw their hats in the ring and claim legitimacy. Legitimacy, am I correct in all those assumptions? Yeah, I think that's that's okay. safe. I just want to make sure that the yeah. papal schism doesn't get too far away from my, you know, simple brain. Let's put it that way. And the uh, interesting thing, uh, according to a historian uh, named
0: Broderick, he he refers to the Western schism in these terms: "quote Doubt still shrouds the validity." of the three rival lines of pontiffs during the four decades subsequent to the still-disputed papal election of 1378. They're still, 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 still
2: disputed. Here.
0: He goes on to say this makes suspect the credentials of the cardinals created by the Roman, the Avignon, and the Pisan climates of the Apostolic See. Whew. Unity was finally restored without a definitive solution to the question. For the Council of Constance, which was 1414 to
2: 1418,
0: Uh uh, where the papal schism was finally resolved. (laughs) Uh, I air-quoted that. Resolved. Uh, But basically, the Council of Constance succeeded in terminating the Western schism, not by declaring which of the three claimants was the rightful one, but by eliminating all of them by forcing their abdication or deposition and then setting up a novel arrangement for choosing a new pope acceptable to all sides. To this day, the Church has never made any official, authoritative pronouncement about the papal lines of succession for this confusing confusing period. Nor has Martin V or any of his successors. Modern scholars are not agreed in their solutions, although they tend to favor the Roman line." End quote. So basically, we go into this Western schism, this papal schism, one of the few times that the Catholic Church has ever split. We're going into it with, I'm the Pope. No, <laughs> no. We got our own guy.
2: Yeah.
0: No, no. Wait, wait, wait. Over here in the corner, we've got our own guy. So we go into this... You know this Council of Constance in 1414, and now this wasn't the only thing talked about. But we're it's still—it's four years. It wasn't just like you know they lock themselves in a room and they come out of this and they go, "Hey, okay, we've 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 reached a conclusion, and here's what it is." So you think you're the pope? You think you're the pope? You think you're the pope? Triple threat match. Ladder <laughs> match. Cages. None of y'all are going to be the pope, sure. but I mean it didn't quite happen that absolutely or that well, concretely. Right. But that was the end of the council of like a three men enter and They they all, lose. all <laughs> <of you. laughs> they lose. They just they all get counted out.
2: Yeah, I, I mean I just think that it's so fascinating that well, I mean first off, like you know Avignon is in France, mm-hmm. and then you have Rome which is in Italy, and then you have the Byzantium sector, which is in modern-day Turkey. Yes. I mean, it's a pretty far-reaching, uh, uh, you know, across the European continent and into Eurasia, of where these different claimants are coming from and heading to and and, and being, you know, having power structures in. It's just, it's, it's almost like it's a modern, without bloodshed, It's almost, it's almost like it's a pre-modern world war you know here is the you know I, when the when the roman catholic church begins to to fall i mean the power structure of europe is is it's crumbling it's
1: a huge vacuum
2: it's a massive i mean like who fed the people in europe roman catholic church Absolutely. who educated the people in europe roman catholic church who who healed the people in europe roman catholic church mm-hmm. I mean, so we can see why each of these different regions... I've got something here. Sure. Uh, And it said, these people... Let's read this. The conflicts quickly escalated from a church problem to a diplomatic crisis that divided Europe. Secular leaders had to choose which claimant they would recognize. So (laughs) Avignon was supported by France... Aragon, Castile, and Lyon, Cyprus, Burgundy, Savoy, Naples, Scotland, Owain, Glender's <coughs> Rebellion, and Wells recognize the Avignon claimant. I'm, I'm going to have to just throw my hat in the ring here uh-huh. and say that I am siding
0: with Avignon uh-huh. as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe that they should come out of the triple threat. There you, go. Victorious there you go. Simply because they have Aragon in there. There you go. Uh, and and it's, 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 it's not the exact name, but Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Uh, There you go. So if you're going to go with Tolkien, I've I've got your back. All
2: right. And now Rome was supported by Denmark, England, Flanders, the Holy Roman Empire, Hungary, Ireland, Norway, Portugal, Poland... Uh, which later was Poland, Lithuania, Sweden, the Republic of Venice, and other city-states of northern Italy who recognized the Roman claimant. And then that, then there's the whole Iberian, Iberian Peninsula who supported other people yep. of their own choosing. So, I mean, like, this is— I am the mayor of all of Hill. Exactly. This is a an alliance system that's lining up. I mean, had there been modern-day-style armies back at this time that were readily movable— I mean, because this is long away from each other. Mm -hmm. You're not fighting an overland war like this. But, you know, if they had had modern-day armies with the capabilities of moving from place to place like we do now, this is definitely lining up to be a world war. I I mean, this is the common world that most of us know about at this time period. You know, obviously we're excluding Asia and Africa. But they would have probably, you know, Egypt would have wanted a piece of this world war if this would have happened. I mean, you know, think about the types of money that would have been made by selling arms and armaments to these folks. I mean, it, this would have been nuts. And it's all over the legitimacy of the papacy through the eyes of, of, the, of the holder of power. It's just It's fascinating to me that this is somehow wrapped in religion. Yeah. Well,
0: and this, you know, we've talked quite a bit. Um, in rambling fashion. Uh, Sorry. No, 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 I wasn't blaming <laughs> just you, just mostly. Oh, okay, awesome. We're doing this. There is a method to the madness. Right. And there's a reason that we're doing this because we're trying to set up a little bit of the climate sure. as to how, um, you know, what was going on. It wasn't just turmoil from without, you mm. know, from outside. No. It was turmoil from oh, within totally. as well. Uh, so I think that. And, and this is just my take on it. I think that once we advance the story of Huss and we find out ultimately what happens in the end, I think so much of it is almost a knee-jerk reaction from the church, a, a classic overreaction yeah. that there's so many battles being fought on so many different fronts that you just try to go, okay, well, the quickest resolution or the easiest resolution or just the thing that gets it out of our hair. Exactly. You know, the, it, 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 let's expedite this thing and let's get it over with. Let's get it done. Uh, so we, we just kind of wanted to give you a little bit of a snapshot into what was going on within the church. Right. And, you know, we're talking about a four-decade, yeah. you know, a 40-year
2: schism here. That This is not—I mean, there are people who, who were born— they grew up. They lived their entire lives. This was their normal, and died without any resolution being at, yeah. at, over this. I mean, that, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah.
0: So then we, you know, we've talked a little bit about the early life of John Huss, mm-hmm. which again, there's not a whole lot that we know in regards to his early life, but you know, we know that he was from Husinec, and that. Well, do you, do you have there what his his last name meant?
2: Uh, yeah, it was actually a. Uh, oh, gosh. I just blanked. I'm so sorry. I, I'm not uh, a goose. A, a goose, yes. Oh, goodness. I knew it was coming. It was a bird of some sort. Yeah. It was some. It was fowl. Yeah. Sort of. it was, it was a, some avian s- variety. Squawking <laughs> thing. Yes.
0: It was a goose. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, it, very impoverished. Right. You know, incredibly impoverished. And he goes into um, the ministry, Mm -hmm. basically, to avoid that. And and undoubtedly, as you mentioned before, there's some natural tendencies, some probably some gifting, some, you know, he was probably strong, uh, showed signs of being a strong communicator. Right. Or was easily, um, you know, he connected with people. Right. So, So it wasn't just escaping poverty,
2: which. Probably had a lot to do with yes, it, but there was some natural gift in right. there as well. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's just like, I mean, Ben. Let's be honest here. You know, ninety nine percent of the people who lived back then would have been trying to escape poverty. Absolutely. And so, any of them that showed, it's it's almost like you're picking the Jedi children. You know. You know. You're trying to find. So the, we're taking Midichlorian counts. There now. you go. Okay. You're okay. trying to find the Anakin Skywalkers. You know, if you're the church, you're. I mean, you really are. You have slim pickings you're 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 trying to r- r- maintain your numbers of priests local priests because they're the ones who are getting their hands dirty they're the ones doing the dirty jobs but I'm also bringing people in from illiterate families non-cultured families co- families who 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 speak roughly you know the local language they definitely don't speak the language of the church which would have been latin right and and so it's like you know we're We're scraping the bottom of the barrel for a lot of these folks. They're good enough to be at the end of a hoe or mm-hmm. at the end of a plow, but are the lot really good enough to come in and wear the the robes of the Catholic church. I mean that's to me I think it says a lot about where Huss was if he was a street urchin, which you know he was self-described as you know an urchin status. Mm-hmm and he was able to rise to the to the levels that he rose I mean you know, a, a main a, a, a gaining a bachelor's degree and a doctor or a master's degree and, and uh, you know being recognized as like the leading pastor in Prague which is pretty impressive yes. at the time period yes obviously I skipped a few of his little things there to get him to the main pastorship of Prague but you know eventually he will he will become that later on in his career you know,
0: really where he first comes onto the scene, really with historical record, is when he becomes a student, a university student at the University of Prague. Mm-hmm. And he's he rises through the ranks there, whatever the ranks of students at the university <laughs> at the time were. Um, but he, he makes a name for himself, and he becomes known uh, very, very quickly uh, as someone with a great amount of promise and I ran across a, a quote from one of his sermons uh, that I would like to share with us here. And this is, this is why he's still a university student. Uh, and he basically says this, quote, First of all, must we learn that which is most necessary to salvation, that which stimulates us to love? For we should learn, not for vainglory or curiosity, but to the edification of ourselves and our neighbor, and to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are some who wish to know in order that they may be known of men, and that is degrading vanity. There are others who wish to know for the sake of knowing, and that is curiosity. And still yet there are others who wish to know in order to sell their knowledge for wealth and honor, and that is ignoble desire for gain. But there are likewise some who desire to know in order to edify, and that is love. And still others who desire to know in order to be edified themselves, and that is wisdom. End quote. That's
2: pretty powerful.
0: That's that's very <laughs> powerful. And and even though that he really wasn't a great scholar,
2: uh-huh.
0: his learning was considered broad and solid. Hmm. So educationally, master of, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Is, is really what that's saying because, I mean, he knew a little bit of Greek. Uh, he knew a little bit of Hebrew. Yeah, that, he I knew mean, a little bit of, that, you know, Latin. Um,
2: and that's yeah. what I was getting ready to point out is, like, Prague would have been an international city. Yeah. At that time period. I mean, they were right on that line of we're not European at all. hmm but we're connected to Europe. We're not Asian at all, but we're connected to Asia. We're right above that you know, that line of where the trading melds through there. I mean, it just would would still be one of those places and probably my top ten list of places I would love to see before I go. And Hus during this time, you know, over
0: the next few years, just continued rising uh, throughout the, the ranks of the university and he became started to become known for his oration skills of his public speaking of him delivering messages and he got to the place that he was moved into you know what we would know as pastorship mm-hmm. you know or uh, you know I mean it was it was in catholicism he was a priest so he was assigned his own chapel and there were a few little pit stops along the way that, that we won't go into, but he kind of settles in an appointment uh, at a place of, of preaching at Bethlehem Chapel. Um, and this was not only critical in the making of the Bohemian Reformation, mm-hmm. which, which we'll get to here in a little bit, but this is really where Huss's eyes started to open a little bit to what that um, the charges of heresy that are going to be brought against him at the council? Uh, it's kind of here where all of that starts taking root because he is again he come from a poor peasant family. Mm-hmm. He came out of poverty. He the church educated him. Mm-hmm. The church took him in, provided for him, sent him to university where he became, uh, you know, one of the rising stars basically. And then he gets this position where he settles in as the preacher of the Bethlehem Chapel. And then all of a sudden, he, one thing that he starts doing that seems to be getting people in trouble in this time period is that he begins studying the Word of God for himself, mm-hmm. somewhat open-mindedly. I know. How dare you? The the audacity, (laughs) right? But I mean, you know, we can sit and laugh about that now, and it is—it's a laughable thing to go. Oh, you! Everyone can do that. Not well. We we can now, right? Back then,
2: no heresy. uh,
0: Absolutely. Burning at the stake. Yes, which we will find out later is exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he he begins to start looking at. You know, he's starting to see the whole truth of this man named Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Um, he's While he's preparing for his sermons, he's studying the Bible thoroughly, and it it's growing on him more and more and more how wide or how great the chasm is between what he's reading in the Bible mm-hmm. and what the church is teaching. Mm-hmm. So... He got to the place where he was having to follow after what God was doing in him, what mm-hmm. he was seeing in God's Word. Because again, this is the Catholic Church didn't have all of that high of a value on the Bible, yeah. on, on God's Word. They did. I mean, they had a value for it, but it wasn't high. I mean, they took the parts out of it that they wanted to kind of come underneath and undergird the foundation of the message that they wanted to be preaching.
2: I mean let's expand on that just a second because I think it's so it's so important. most of the most of these local priests couldn't read the Bible. Yes, and it wasn't written in their language. So do you waste and I hate to say that word waste with the Bible but do you waste time and resources learning them the Bible? Or, and I used air quotes on that, learning, Mom. I didn't speak that badly out of <laughs> grammatical context. Sorry, Lisa. Yeah. I, I, do, you, do you spend your time and resources wasting, you know, to get them to be functionally literate when it comes to the Bible? Or do you just propagate what needs to be propagated in order to move the flock continually along to, uh, as a means to an ends type of situation? But then what happens when the Bible becomes translated into these differentiated linguistic styles, or what happens when you have a guy like Jan Hus who not only is knowledgeable, but he's obviously talented. We've seen that through through our studies here. Um, But he's worldly, um, and he's in an international city that is exposed to Greek, that is exposed to Latin, that probably was exposed to something like you mentioned, Aramaic. You know, what if he literally can go over and grab a Bible and maybe not read the entirety of it, or maybe, you know, part and parcel be able to, you know, be able to, you know, you know pull out every direct you know meaning of, of this word and you know, the, 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 the subtext meanings underneath it and everything, but to pretty much roughly be able to read the Bible. And he's reading and he's going, oh, that doesn't sound anything like what we do. Oh, that doesn't sound like anything what we do. Oh, that doesn't sound like anything what we do. That I think that's pretty foundationally shifting for somebody who's committed their life to something, and then when he realizes he's committed his life to something that what he thinks is one way and then in reality might be a different way. And then what happens if he gads, he reads John Wycliffe? Right.
0: And that's just, you know, because we, again, some of the issues that Wycliffe had was, number one, the level of authority that the church Placed on the Bible, mm-hmm. basically on the Word of God. It wasn't, it wasn't an authority in their time.
1: Not only the Word of God, but their version, uh, their, you're right, and right, their interpretation yeah. of the Word of
0: God. Yeah, because again, just like Aaron was just talking about, the fact that not only. Is the population, or the masses of the population, they're not going to be able to read, right? Absolutely, um, because they're we're, illiterate. Yes, yeah, we're, we're dealing with people who, like we talked about in the in the Wycliffe episode, mm-hmm. it's not that they were not intelligent people nope. or incapable of learning. Nope. It was just learning was not a necessity, reading nope. was not a necessity, writing was not a necessity for them to remain alive. Exactly, farming, <laughs> gathering provide building building those were the things yeah. that you needed to do to stay alive so you didn't waste or you didn't dedicate a whole lot of extra energy into sure. other things than that
2: Exactly you're right I mean it, we're we're functionally literate in some things you know I have a functioning literacy with computers but if computers went away tomorrow and I mean it would be a terrible day let's put it that way no more YouTube I'd be very sad Man. But at the same time, I would have to continue on in order to survive. I mean, Ben hits the nail on the head here. These people, for the for the majority of them, their life was a game of survival, day in and day out. And um, the Catholic Church, Ben, can I use the word exploited? Yeah, yeah, the Catholic. Okay, let's let's just not even just let's not say the Catholic Church only, but any power structure is going to exploit that one thing. I mean, the manor lords the the kings and the the people who were the power structures of the time, they're going to exploit the fact that people's minds were on survival yeah. constantly. Well,
0: and and let's let's look at it from this, not just, and let's shift a little bit of the attention away from the Catholic Church okay. and let's look. Um, one of our classes at church is studying the book of Acts right now, and okay. we're in the book of Acts chapter 12, okay. which basically says that King Herod mm-hmm. had James, okay, uh, the disciple James, mm-hmm. arrested and basically put to death. Okay, And it said that when he saw that this pleased the masses, he wanted to do it more. Yeah. There, there's a couple things that this this type of thing does. When people are in authority, when people are in power, one of the things that they want is they want more authority and they want more power. So anything they can do to flex the authoritative or the power muscle, they're going to do it. Uh And whenever they do that, if they find something that not only increases their power, but also is popular to the masses,
1: yeah, that's like a drug to most. If they find what's um, the most effective... um, Their power, and not only that, the power, but if they convince
2: the people, it's the best thing for them. Sure. Um, I mean, that's Uh, the ultimate power on Hitler's birthday. Yes, as we are
0: recording this on Hitler's (laughs) birthday. You know, there
2: you go. I mean, that's the perfect example. You know, he convinces the German people this is what we need, this is how we're going to go about it. And sorry for all the atrocities we're going to have to uh, commit, but it's for the better good. Right, yeah. You know, it makes total sense. It's like you were talking about with the Gallup approval polls. Yeah. You know, the further that poll is. A little
0: conversation we had earlier.
2: But the further that poll is away, let's say the approval rating's 80 20, 80 approved, 20 disapproved. As a leader, you can have a few bad days with an 80 20 approval rating. You can also bounce it back up to 80 20 by killing a few more Christians. Or, you know, killing a few more dissidents or whatever you have to kill. In Herod's time, it would have been Christian martyrs. But, you know, in Huss's time, maybe we go out and grab some poor farmers that haven't attended church in a few years or a few weeks or a few months, and we strap them to a big pile of wood and we throw a match on it. And everybody dances. And my approval rating goes up. When Well, and that's,
0: you know— Going back to the, the King Herod thing, which, again, is this kind of the same thing with the, the Catholic Church. is Whenever you find things that makes you more authoritative, that gives you more power, mm-hmm. you tend to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And just like with the disciples, with King Herod, once there is a dissenting voice that begins to arise that challenges your authority... Challenges your power, you're going to do what you have to do, to to squash that and to stamp that out. Um, But he's so he's here at this at this little church Mm -hmm. basically in Bohemia, (laughs) and he's starting to go. You know what he's he's ran into and run across a little bit of the work of Wycliffe, Uh some of his and some of the other works. Uh, from some other people who have dared print or write or voice opposition to the Catholic Church, and he's he's saying, you know, this th- this this whole indulgence thing just doesn't seem right. Uh, now he did. I think it's worth noting that he did disagree with Wycliffe in the transubstantiation theory and viewpoint that. Wycliffe had. And basically, transubstantiation means that during the communion ceremony that the the Catholic Church believes, and and many Orthodox churches still to this day believe, that during the Eucharist or the time of giving thanks during the the communion Mm -hmm. process, that the bread and the wine actually become the body, and the blood of Christ. Right. That it's a supernatural experience that we are actually partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not symbolic. Right. It, it, it's it, not symbolism, you know. It moves. Right, right. It, it, it changes form.
2: I would like to point out for any of those people that are listening right now at our church, I help sometimes make the communion is yeah. just grape juice and crackers at our yeah. church. Yeah. Just letting them know straight up. Right, right. So if they exactly. want to come.
0: But see, the, the, there's still even Orthodox Church to this day that say, even if I'm putting the grape juice into the cup.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: I know. That once that cup touches my lips. It becomes something. Yeah. It, it becomes the blood of Christ. I
2: was just letting them know. Right. Oh, I, I, I understand <laughs> that. <and> I understand it. <laughs> I appreciate They're it. They're
1: unsalted crackers for any blood pressure issues. That still it's it's so, Welch's grape juice. Yeah,
2: yeah. But
0: Wycliffe denied the transubstantiation. He said that he did not believe
2: that it became. Huss did not agree with that. Which probably makes a little more sense because orthodoxy is still prevalent in Central Europe. Absolutely. And so, you know, Huss was, or Wycliffe was um, far removed from the orthodoxy being where he was and and Huss in Central Europe. I mean, still to this day, if you go in that Cossacks region of of Russia, if you go to Czech Republic, you're running into you know the Russian Orthodox Church, mm-hmm. and so I can totally see why that would be a common thing. Is still even to this day. Yeah, yeah. So
0: I mean, it's it, it wasn't like he found this doctrine of Wycliffe and was just like, oh,
2: Ben, I, I want to ask you a personal question here because sure. I know for me, there's been a lot of times, a, a lot, a, especially politically, where I've read people and I've went, ah, oh, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel about this mm-hmm. thing. And I'm sure for you guys, you both have felt that way, having read a newspaper article. Calvin
1: Coolidge represent.
2: There you. Oh, there you go. Little CC. Whatever. You just grabbed the president. Just trying that on. Yeah. You just grabbed the president and ran, ran with it. I like it. That'll be merchandise later. But <laughs> like <a good> <laughs> I wonder if that's what this was for Huss. You know, I'm. I don't want to say he's all alone because he's not all alone. Mm-hmm. But he probably feels like an intellectual. Um. I have a master's degree here in theology, and here I am in this little Bethlehem chapel in the middle of Prague. Man, I, I feel pretty good about, it, but I'm so far moved from the from the Holy See, and man, look, you guys, you you're not living the day to day, man. We got boots on the ground right here. You know, we're 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 deep in this. I'm you know I'm up to my elbows in mm-hmm. in Jesus, and and then the Catholic Church doesn't match up with what he is feeling and what he is seeing and what he's reading. And now all of a sudden, Wickliffe comes. Does so like Wycliffe confirmation feel? Bias. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is like, does he? Does Wickliffe feel his need for like confirmation that this is okay? I'm okay to feel this way because other people have felt that way before, or have. I mean, does that somehow?
1: I, I would say that's a part of it. Um, it's always hard being a pioneer of anything, right? Oh, um, absolutely. Well, if there's no precedents um, beforehand, I mean, it's. Right. Well, and
0: you know, talking about being, you know, the the nature of a pioneer, when you look at the work which as far as the reformers go, I, again, I think it's it's important for us to say that they didn't realize they were reformers no, during that period. No. I mean, they didn't set out to, hey, we're going to change everything, and you know, we're going to <laughs> history shall write us. It, it wasn't that. It was just like, okay, we're starting to notice some things. Right, some things aren't right, and we need to do something about it. But we look and we say, okay, the most iconic. And the most popular reformer is Martin Luther.
2: Right.
0: Which we just last year on Halloween celebrated the 500-year anniversary of him tacking the thesis on on the door of the of the church. Stressed as him on that. And you were you were uh, trunk or treat at our church. I didn't even know
1: it was his 500
0: year. I know that was that was uncanny, (laughs) uncanny. Uh, (laughs) But they had there was a building momentum. Mm-hmm. over 150 years. Luther was able to do what he did because he had a lot of political protection yep. from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church kept summoning you know summonsing that word they said hey come here. <laughs> come, uh, here <laughs> come here dude. <laughs> Get over here. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, they were going on mortal combat. Yeah, yes. And they were just going no. Okay, if you want to talk, you know, you got to come here.
2: And, I'm doing doing a great new, work new and I am yeah. yeah. doing great work, and yes. I cannot come down. I am doing great work, and I cannot come down. Yeah, the Nehemiah, the Nehemiah. Yeah. yeah, the
0: Nehemiah reference, and it's. But we've got to understand that Wycliffe didn't have that. Huss didn't necessarily. I mean, he had yeah. a little bit more. But
2: the time was right. Is what I think that's that what you're right. saying. Yeah, it's the time was right for Luther.
0: Exactly, Luther built on what. The, on the foundation that other men before him had laid. But we've got Huss who's basically just going, hey, here's just the issues I have. Uh, number one, we're not necessarily matching up with this, this Jesus guy. Yep. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of what all of this is centered on. <laughs> um, so maybe we ought to take a look at that. And, Christian Christ. Yeah, yeah, Christian and, and, hey, Christ. And, and I'm reading... <laughs> I've got a little background in Latin, yeah. So, so Jerome's Vulgate, yeah. You know, I can I can read that, and I'm also reading what I have in the people's native tongue uh-huh. here. Not Latin. It's enough. not matching up. I've got a little bit of Hebrew. I've got a little bit of Greek, and what I'm seeing here is not matching up. So, not only do I, not only did he want the Bible in the native tongue which again is not going to be super beneficial because not th- not that many people read right. but he's like I'm going to preach in the native tongue
2: yeah
0: and he didn't ask for permission No, I understand he just started it so this was the things that he was having he was like listen these indulgences I, don't, I can't scripturally find that yeah hey this purgatory thing I I, I can't scripturally find that hey this this charging, um, you know, the tithe, basically, um, which it wasn't a tithe. If it's not given voluntarily, it's not a tithe. It's a tax. It's the punishment it's tax, exactly, right. the
2: church tax. Yeah. So like, especially places like England and France were, you know, notorious for it.
0: Yeah. So he's just basically, it's similar to Wycliffe, but he's just kind of rising I, up and going, hey, this, this that's, isn't right.
2: That's what I was getting asked, and I think that sounds so much like Wycliffe. I think it. Do you, another question here for her, do you think it's just commonplace within the reform movement that they're going to have so much uh, you know parallel to one another or is it simply because it's just this is just I think that's probably the same question is it is it accidental or was it maybe he m- was modeling modeling after Wick some of the things he was doing to try to achieve the same type of ends. Or, or was it just, did it have to happen that way because that's how reform movements have to happen?
0: Well, I don't, I don't, I'm sure that there was some influence there where he was looking at, like you, you know, like you said earlier of, you know, I, I've read authors where mm-hmm. I've sat and spoken to someone and either the writing or the verbiage that they use is, 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 I'm just going, that's it. Yeah. That's it. I've felt that. You're for my new so gu-
2: long. You're my new guru.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I've felt that for so long, not been able to put the words to it. Right. And it's usually some type of uber simplistic sure. statement. I'm Absolutely. Going, there it is. Yeah. Right there. And I, so I think that that's a lot. You know, obviously, he's got things that's going on himself because I believe that it's in those moments that we find that attachment and that connection mm-hmm. with something or someone. It's because that very same thing has been been rising in us. We just may not have been able to articulate it. So it's not just like we read something and go, oh, that sounds really good. I think I'm going to do that. It's, <laughs> I read this, it's kind of like the disciples. You know, Jesus has a multitude of followers. Mm-hmm. And it says that he gets to, and I just love this statement. Jesus just looks at him and goes, all right, here's the truth. Here's, you know, if we're going to go to the message, the hip hop version of the Bible is like, hey, yo, here's what's up. Yeah.
1: Let's keep it real. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, That unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you are not my disciples. Yeah. And it, the Scripture records that a multitude Wilted away. just turned around and went home. Yeah, peace out, homie. They's like, all right, this guy has completely lost it. Exactly. Because we, you know, from a cultural standpoint, it was a huge no-no. Oh, yeah. From a Jewish faith and from a cultural standpoint, from a societal standpoint, yeah. you didn't eat the flesh of, of humans, uh-huh. um, much less did you consume the blood of any exactly. type of sacrifice, whether it be animal or whatnot, but all of a sudden, it says these great multitudes walk away because Jesus offended them. Yeah. And then it says that he looks around and there's this basically this ragtag bunch of <laughs> probably around twelve disciples. This is what we got left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he's like, "Oh, so I shook it. That's what stayed." You know. Yeah. But he looks and he goes, "What are you all not going to go away also?" And Peter, being Peter yeah. and, and making the captain obvious statements, he basically just goes, "These things that you say." these sayings that you say are hard sayings. He said, and he openly admitted, he said, when you speak, I don't understand it. Get you I don't that. have a clue as to what you're saying, but when you speak, there's something that comes alive inside yeah. of me. I don't understand it. It may offend me. Yeah. I can't comprehend it, but when you speak, something comes alive. And I think we have no historical record or evidence or something that could back this up. But just from my own personal moments of reading something or hearing somebody mm-hmm. say something, go, that's it. Yeah. Right there. And I think that probably a lot of the things that Huss had been feeling or thinking or led into was
2: what he was finding with Wickless' work. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and others similar. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, other yeah. similar writers, sure. It's a. Uh, I just think it's the natural path of how that had to occur. I think I've even
1: had things where I've had doubts in something, just anything, just, you know, proverbial something. Don't know what my doubts are. I'm like, this isn't right. Right. You just know it's not right. You don't know why it's not right, but then you'll read something.
2: Yeah, and it validates your belief in like, okay, I understand why. I I mean, I I think, again, he gives it away. I mean, he gives it away in his own words where he says, I went to the clergy to escape poverty for nice clothes, to have some money, and to have influence over men. So what did he, before Before he even got there, what did he feel the Catholic Church was? They had power, they had money, they had nice clothing, they had influence over men. And then he reads the Bible and Jesus is all about deferment, deferment, deferment. Mm-hmm. Self-last, self-last, self-last. Others first, others first. Other. So everything that from the outside, I'm looking in as a street urchin kid, and I'm going, well, they're ostentatious, man. They've got all this money. They're flush with cash. They've got food. they got nice robes. I'm going to wear some jewels, you know, big pimp and spending G's, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's actually. that lifestyle. And then when I get in here and I start actually learning about what I'm supposed to be doing— I don't resemble anything about the guy who I'm supposed to be looking like. This isn't right at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, am I am I missing? Am no. I, I'm off base with that because I mean, I one thing when you mentioned the bo, bo uh, bohemian. Tribe, Thank you. The Bohemian Reformation. I thought this was an interesting little paragraph. The bohemian Reformation produced the first national church separate from Roman authority, the first apocalyptic religious movement of the early modern period, and the first pacifist. Protestant church so I think that tells us a lot about what the Bohemian people were trying to achieve I mean they're trying to achieve their own authority outside of the Catholic church can anyone say heresy yeah can exactly pacifism yeah in, in a world where you you know my Andy Stanley always says might makes right in, mm-hmm. the, in that old world style might makes right you know who has the largest sword wins yeah and we're gonna be pacifists yeah yeah. in Central Europe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here, let me let me throw this one out. Yeah, too, go ahead.
0: Um, still today in the in the Catholic Church, if there is a um, priest or um, someone that has dedicated their life to mm-hmm. the work of the church, if there is a verifiable miracle that is conducted through them, they're dawned with sainthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so take this back several centuries. There was no one who did anything of any significance from a spiritual standpoint outside of the priesthood or you yeah, know, one yeah. of their representatives or one of the clergymen or the, the pope, cardinal, right. something like that. Let me read you this story yes. of something that, uh, that, was go- that, that went on in Bethlehem Chapel or within the influence of that chapel. And so there's already this current starting to form of resistance from the church towards Huss. And this doesn't necessarily help it, but...
2: <laughs> I'm excited already. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll read this, so if it gets a, a little reading-like. <laughs> so let me just read this. Several things, however, soon led to an increase of the hatred against Huss, tended to estrange from him many who had hitherto been his friends, and finally led to a state of affairs in which retraction or martyrdom was the only alternative. The first of these was the so-called miracle of Wilsnack. It seems that a church had been destroyed in the town of the above name. In the district and and in a cavity of a stone altar, which had been left partly standing, three wafers had been found. Colored red as if with blood. It was declared by the priest that this was the blood of Christ. The fame of this supposed miracle was spread far and wide throughout all Europe. Wilsnack became a place of pilgrimage, to which came great crowds from Hungary, Poland, and even the Scandinavian countries of the distant north. A shrewd suspicion was excited that all was not right and that the priest of Wilsnack had used tricks and falsehood in order to encourage the pilgrimages which were so profitable to them. The archbishop forbade his own people to take part in these pilgrimages and appointed a committee of three to inquire into the matter. Among them was John Huss, to whose influence we may largely ascribe the rendering of a report adverse to the genuineness of the supposed miracle. It was on that occasion that he wrote one of his most famous tracts in which, although he remains perfectly orthodox in regards to the doctrine of transubstantiation, he yet shows himself utterly opposed to the superstition and frauds so intimately connected with the worship of relics and the exploitation of miracles." The report of the committee showed that the so-called miracles were fraudulent. It was said that the foot of a boy had been healed. Quote, we found that his foot was worse than before. End quote. (laughs) Two blind women were said to have received their sight. The report said, quote, they confessed before many people before us and the notary that they had never been blind, although they did suffer from poor sight. End quote. A citizen of Prague, whose hand was withered, offered Wilsnack a silver hand. Offered at Wilsnack a silver hand, wishing to know what the priest would say about this hand, he remained there three days. Then he heard the priest, in his own presence, say, quote, Hear, children, about a new miracle. Behold, a citizen of Prague has been cured of a withered hand through the blood of Christ." In witness whereof, he has brought this silver hand as an offering. Then the citizen who was among the congregation raised his hand and said, quote, See, here is my hand, withered as before. End quote. All of this made a tremendous stir throughout the land. If the miracles of Wilsnack were frauds, then that brought into question all of the others. So, what Huss had done, he was appointed to a committee by Mama, by, by, <laughs> by headquarters. Right. Hey, this sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, man. This is going to be great. We're, this is bringing some great attention. We need to go document this stuff. Hus goes and he investigates it along with others, but he basically goes... Yeah, not so much. Yeah. That didn't that didn't really happen. And then these reports start detailing corruptions and all of a sudden, um, the whole subject of relics, of miracles, they're in danger. They're starting to crumble and they're being brought into indifference and contempt because people are kind of kind of starting to put together the fact of uh, they're, they're happening because it's increasing power or it's increasing financial profit, right. and they're worried because they're about to lose a little bit of both.
2: Well, of course. I mean, this is, this is the, the attempt at providing the lucky rabbit's foot or the, the, the previous What well, I mean, it's, it's, it, it just goes back to culture after culture after culture that people have always tried to put faith in something, and I think that's what's so much different about the Christian faith than the previous faiths before, is that the Christian faith is not, at its, at its simplest, is not asking you to put its faith in something. It's asking you to put its faith in someone. And I think that's so, I mean, there's lots of someones in previous religions, but not one that has supposedly done and preached the way that Jesus preached. But, Ben, we all have these different things that we use in our lives, whatever it is. My grandmother was a firm believer in, like, superstitions. We mm-hmm. knocked on wood at Grandma's house. We stepped salt, over cracks. Salt, salt at the salt spill. Yeah. You had to throw some over your shoulder. You know, all the little things. She she did it mostly for fun. Yeah. You know, because it was silly, and she knew all of them, and it was just something funny that Grandma would do. But... You know, while you were reading that, I just kept thinking to myself, could you imagine what would happen, where would, we, where would we be right now if somebody like John Huss hadn't have went? What if the Catholic Church had sent somebody who was willing to say, absolutely, this is a miracle? You know, where would we be right now? Because, I mean, we're obviously products of the Protestant Reformation, sitting mm-hmm. here, absolutely. I mean, the, our entire country is. Yep. So what, where would, would it have taken another hundred years for the United States to happen? You know, if John Huss hadn't, yeah. hadn't been the one that they chose to go. I mean, because that's how foundational is shifting. Yes. A Catholic church yep. sending out a specified envoy to just to validate, dude, all you're doing, you're just going to go validate this. You yeah. know, the wink, wink, nod, yeah. nod, nudge, you nudge. you catching my winks there. You know, yeah. you're just you're just going to put the John Huss stamp of approval on the old Bloody Cracker. <laughs> hey, That's our new band name. Bloody Cracker. The old Bloody Cracker. Oh, the old Bloody Cracker. Yeah. I like it. You know... Well...
1: John has stamps our first single.
2: <laughs> Ooh, there you go. I like this. Where this is going? I'm leaving you to name the rest of the songs. You all just wait for that to drop here soon. <laughs> but, you know, it. it's just... I think the bravery, I think the bravery, were, I, we, I know we talked about Wycliffe, but the bravery to be able to go, no. Yeah, that's not what I No, that. no. no, no talk,
0: talk about integrity.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, it, it really is. It's such an, it's such an, because there's no benefit. That brings me to a point. Um,
1: I believe very much in the importance of separation of church and state. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Hundred, you know, a- absolute separation of church and state. And when I bring that up, I get a lot of pushback on that, um, saying it's anti-God, anti-Christ, evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to, I'd like to go, and and people like Huss are heroes for this, because if you don't separate church and state, the state will corrupt it. It just will. There's just too many examples. And we're talking about one of them. Mm-hmm. Today, there's just too many examples, and I believe that's why. I mean, he as is a hero mm-hmm. of separation of church and state. He just is, and he's a hero of getting your faith yourself and looking into it yourself, thinking it for yourself. And yeah. I just wanted to make that. Yeah, that good point. point.
0: Um, good point. I, I just ran across something here, and this goes completely. I don't know if there is a show flow. Something we talked about a little bit about him, you know, coming across Wycliffe's work. Mm-hmm. Um, So this should have gone back there, but I just
2: found this, so it's going to go here. I like it. Um, I like wherever it goes.
0: But actually, (laughs) when Huss was on trial at the Council of Constance, he, he basically said this, quote, I confess that when I was still a youth, full of love for learning, I went to England, and hearing the fame of Wycliffe, how that he was a man of fine king and extraordinary intellect, I made copies of his dialogue and trialogue and brought them back with me to Prague. There you end go. End quote.
2: There you go. I mean it, it just I mean it proves how foundationally shifting that was for John Huss. I mean let's think what had been his main voice in his head, in his life up to that point, had been Catholicism, had been the practice of have been the teachings of, and now all of a sudden you have one of, would you probably say Wycliffe is the most famous martyr uh, of the pre-Reformation movement at this time period?
0: Well, he he hadn't been
2: martyred. Oh, If you remember, he died
0: um, actually from a stroke as he was administering communion.
2: Right. No, no, no. I'm talking about not not physically harmed by the church. I'm talking about of that.
0: But as far as a voice
2: of resistance, yes, if like we're going in, with exactly, the, with that resistance. you know, more of the symbolic. I don't mean like at, you know, burnt the stake or anything. Sure, no, okay. no, no, I mean like symbolic martyr of the cause. Well, yeah. yeah. when I, at the end of the council, well, I mean, you know, Constance, he was
0: what they did to his body. Yeah, his yeah exactly. Well. I mean, he
2: yeah. was excommunicated and and uh, post yes. uh, m- uh, mortem. But but um, you know, would he have been that most famous? Oh uh, yeah, no doubt. heretical. Uh, Heretical, I don't even know yeah. if that would be the right yeah. word to describe. I, he's a he's an interesting character in that regard of like his definition was so ever changing with each <laughs> happening to, to yeah. even his bones. I mean, yes. so you know, it's a. Uh, I mean, it just tells us so much that Huss is willing to say. You know, and when I, that part you said right there, maybe we shouldn't gloss over that either. About that, I copied that down. Yeah, that he copied it. I copied that it down. It stood out to him so I much. I copied that yeah. down, and like we don't know how much and, of that and, copied. And they're, that. Not, and
0: they're not short words. No, he may have like, copied
2: yeah. the entirety down. Yeah. I mean, that's a. Whew, you know, I have a hard time writing like a paragraph.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: Handwriting, anyway. <laughs> I
1: don't like writing a store list. I mean.
2: No, exactly. I mean, these people were writing, writing with you know quill and ink. Right. And it was very expensive. So for a college student to to write like that, whoo. I think it's pretty important uh, that, I, I, I think these are just little tips that we keep getting that give us like a, just a small glimpse to the I, velociraptor that's outside the door. <laughs> is, and we're
0: just going to keep rolling
1: through this. It's terrifying to hear through these, I'm like,
0: we've got, uh, we've got a dog outside the door here that's, uh, that's not happy that we're in here and he's not, and uh he likes to make that known. Every I was like, great I was like once get behind that. me, Satan. Who was that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I mean I, I just think that I think Huss gives us in these little quips that we are reading and the different things that we've read about his deferment to Wycliffe, I think it tells us where his mind is. It's like that that he he's becoming Huss's morning star. You know, he's moving away from the church teachings to Wycliffe and other folks of his ilk. And this is where now Huss is going to take his, I don't think he's going to take his entirety of his cues, because that's going to come from the Bible. But maybe he's going to look at the Bible through a different lens, being the lens of now Wycliffe instead of the Roman Catholic Church. So as all of this is ramping up here
0: with the activity with Huss, there's actually some some proclamations that come down, a uh, cease and desist warrants are issued, and they basically begin to tell Hus, stop preaching. Hus does not comply. And there's a lot of back and forth, and and I've been sitting here reading, and it's just not the stuff that we can get into. I mean, because we would be, again, referencing a hardcore history. I mean, we would be... uh, (laughs) you know, the, the World War One series he oh, did where he did gosh. six parts on, you know, and they
1: were it anywhere from three of epics, to man. five hour epics. episodes If you apiece. ever have
2: four hours to kill people. Yes. <laughs> oh.
1: It's pretty good. Yeah.
2: So there's this,
0: kind of this political, you know, power play and, and struggle going on here between the Roman Catholic Church and the, you know, the King of Bohemia at mm-hmm. this moment because he's siding with Huss. Mm-hmm. And he's giving him political protection. And even though all of these edicts are coming down from the church of "Hey, stop! Hey, don't! Hey, you're done! Black hey, is bad! This. You're not allowed to read yeah, this exactly. anymore! Yeah, <laughs> exactly! Quit preaching! They're not reading it in their language. You're not preaching mm-hmm. it in their language. You're not studying for yourself. You do what we tell you to do, basically. And they're going, "No, no, it's not going to happen." Um, but it gets to the place that it's leading up to, you know, these, these teachings that he's teaching of, um, and and we'll get into this here in just a minute, but the whole time, Huss is, Huss is saying, I'm not being a heretic. Mm -hmm. I am not preaching heresy. What he was the most passionate about. Now, Wycliffe had a lot of doctrinal beef mm-hmm. with the Catholic Church, and while Huss has some, that's not his main focus here. Mm-hmm. His main focus is his main focus is on the practices yep. of the Catholic Church. Uh, so that's basically what he's saying. He's like, I'm not going to quit preaching because I'm not preaching
2: anything. Right. That's heresy. It's right here. We're just not going to do these things that you guys say we are either to do or allowed to do. Yeah, hence indulgences and things of that. Yeah,
0: there's this tugging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Hus just says, "Okay, I'll, I'll come. You know, to this this council of Constance. I'll 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 be there." And the whole time that he's there, these charges are being brought against him, and papal bulls are hanging. I mean, it just everything's going just crazy. And Hus, the whole time, is just sitting there going, "I'm not guilty of heresy. I'm not guilty of heresy." And I just I find that fascinating that he's. He's sitting here going, Listen, I have no issue with, with our doctrine. I just have an issue with the way it's playing out. Exactly. It's just fascinating. It's pretty, it is me.
1: really fascinating stuff. Um Brave. I mean Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean even even in the face of what he knows has to be circumstances and, you know, consequences that are not going to be enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, like
1: they're not going to just it's just a last little ethyl injection, and he's gone. I mean, he knows if it goes down to that, it's not gonna. It's not gonna tickle. It's gonna be horrible.
2: No, and I mean, I think that's the the world that we forget about. Is we we forget about the capital punishment that they would have seen pretty often. Over these types of things,
1: They're like Braveheart kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: right. well, I mean, you know, you think about all the people that were living in the woods that were worshiping the tree spirits that they would run into, and they would rest on the spot and bring in a town for fun and burn them or pull them apart at the, at the uh, stretcher thing and at the rack there, or disembowel them, and you know, everybody would cheer. Yeah, you they know? loved it. Yeah, man, they got another witch! Yay, burn her. We're going
0: to close out our first part. On the life of John Huss. We'll be back soon with part two, closing out his story, the council where he met his ultimate fate, the movement that started at the Bethlehem Chapel of the Hussites, and much more. Thank you so much again for listening to Beyond the Walls. Look us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can email us at beyondthewallspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Once again, we'd like to say thank you to McFarlane Murray Chevrolet for sponsoring this episode, Chevrolet.com. Also contact them, 877-272-9861. Let them know that you heard about them, Beyond the Walls.